Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Veterans Victory Housing and Small Business Centers, Foster Group, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Chris Opperly. Chris is currently the director of the Nebraska Lawyers Assistance Program. In that role, Chris coordinates outreach, education, and service to Nebraska lawyers, judges, and law students who may be affected by stress, burnout, cognitive loss, mental health, or substance abuse disorders. I asked Chris to participate in this episode to discuss an article that Chris wrote that I really enjoyed reading that was titled, An Essential Life Skill, Asking for Help. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for for asking me to be on your podcast. I've listened to some of the episodes over the years, and uh, and it's great that you you read my column and, and, and found some interest in that as well. So thank you. Well, I'm like an avid fan of the well-being concept and like early in my career I always said I want to be known for being really good at what I do legally 
but then I'd get held up as the poster child for being the happy lawyer, which I'm proud to say that I really am. I really love what I do. I really love my profession. And I realized that that's not the same for everybody. And so that's where it became important to me. And we, when we decided to do this podcast to include the well-being topic in your article, and I love a lot of the articles that you write, but in the one that we're talking about today, this is that you led with the following quote, which is be strong enough to stand alone, smart enough to know when you need help and brave enough to ask for it. I recall once I have a friend and we were talking about strong people. And I think lawyers in general fit in that category that we're strong people and that they have a tough time for ask, you know, asking for help. And a lot of times people also look at them and say, hey, he or she is really strong. They don't need any help. And we would go out and say, mm, let's start looking for the strong people and notice them. For those who have trouble asking for help, why is it an essential skill? Well, th- yeah, thank you. And, and definitely, the, I try to highlight different topics that may not be kind of your, your run-of-the-mill topics, but they're things that I want lawyers to start thinking about, legal professionals, and, and not only in their professional lives, but also in their personal lives. And so um, to begin, you, you, know, you said lawyers are generally viewed as strong people and maybe struggle in this area, and I absolutely agree with you. Uh, the data we have on lawyer well-being tells us that uh, you know, lawyers are pretty help-reluctant. And, and, and some of it, and we'll talk about a little bit more in a, in a moment, but some of it has to do with just not wanting to appear vulnerable, uh, thinking that we always have all the solutions for our clients, and therefore, we, you know, we shouldn't need to ask for help from other people. And we're um, the problem solvers, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if we can solve everybody else's problems, we should be able to solve our own. Uh, two studies that came out in the 2017, one of them uh, looked at lawyers and said you screened them for like mental health disorders. And the people that screened as high risk for mental health disorders, only about a third of them had asked for help for that issue. Uh, Similarly, law students, uh, those who had actually acknowledged that they had a mental health disorder, depression, anxiety, bipolar, ADHD, uh, less than half were receiving help. And that's in a university context where they they generally have free available help right there, you know, mental health help on on campus. So we we definitely are are help reluctant and need to improve in this area. Um, You know, helping really allows us to identify solutions uh, to the challenges that come up in life. And even when we're in a really good situation where, you know, we enjoy our job and things are going well, life happens. And sometimes jobs are lost, uh, you know, people get sick, or we have a, a death of somebody in our, you know, close to us. Um, we can have financial problems that sometimes aren't of our own making. Uh, and we need to be able to ask for help in those and be prepared to ask for help in those situations. It gives us another perspective Often, you know, we're limiting ourselves to our own experience and own own perspective. And so asking for help gives us that different perspective, uh, maybe identify solutions we hadn't even thought of. So we see the world through the lens of what we've seen. And if I come to you and say, hey, Chris, I really need some help with this. You've seen the world through a different lens. Is that what you're kind of saying there? Absolutely. And I've had different experiences in both me and the people around me. And so I'm, I maybe I've seen a solution to your problem that you just haven't experienced yet in your life. You know, another thing that helps us do is, is give us a sense that we're not facing our problems alone. So there sometimes when we're really struggling and we're stuck uh, and we feel very kind of isolated and we just don't know how to move forward, uh, asking for help brings somebody else in that conversation. And just the mere asking uh, often kind of changes our outlook on the situation. And so I think that can be very, very positive as well. And then, you know, if we wait too long to ask for help, often 
we may have more limited solutions. So, you know, you may have a, a lawyer who's struggling, a solo practitioner in their practice, they're overwhelmed, uh, maybe they have a lot of stress, maybe they have uh, a going through a divorce or something personal in their lives, some health issues. And if they wait until the practice is just in complete disarray and, and, and they've missed deadlines and clients are firing them, you know, we have far fewer solutions than if that lawyer earlier in the process will ask for help. So I think it's, it's really critical that not only do we ask, but we ask, you know, at the right time. And I don't know if you have data on this, but I'm just kind of curious. And that is on the the solos to me and having been part of a small firm, but never solo, I always was like, that was almost too scary to be totally solo because exactly that, if you have a bad day and you have all these deadlines, is it, is there like a higher rate of issues with the solos in general, or is it kind of the same across the board? It's just that a solo might be more likely to get deeper in because they're in a solo practice. Yeah, I, I definitely, there are some unique challenges to being a solo, but I think across the board, you know, if you're a, the senior partner in a large law firm, you also have a bunch of additional responsibilities that a solo doesn't have. In other words, you might have 20 lawyers and 30 staff people that are all depending on you to make the right decisions and run the organization. So I think every role has its own unique challenges, but certainly solo practitioners don't have that person to just be able to talk to. And, and at NLAP, sometimes we serve that role where somebody calls and they don't have a specific disorder, but they're just having a bad week. And, and you know, and, and that judge ruled against them again. And, and they're, they know the judge is wrong, but their client can't afford to appeal it. And, and that client was supposed to bring in a retainer check and, and payrolls due Monday and the client didn't show up. And like these things are just piling up in a given week and they just need somebody to, to vent to to start with and get it out there, figure out what, what's really frustrating them and then kind of figure out a path forward. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. At Foster Group, we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, the relief knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So in your article, you discuss the difference between asking for help and asking for someone to fix the problem for you. I thought that was a really important distinction. Can you clarify that? Definitely. Uh, When we're talking about asking for help, really, we want people to ask help to kind of deal with whatever the underlying issue is and not just the immediate need of, of a particular situation. Uh, we want a kind of a sustainable long-term solution. Um, if you resolve that immediate need but don't change the underlying maybe uh, behavior or issue, they're probably going to continue to repeat that same situation over and over again. And I'll give you a, a really easy example. We've all had that friend who isn't very good with financial matters, and it, maybe it's a relative or sibling or friend. And they're constantly living maybe beyond their means. They don't know how to budget. They're always asking to borrow money. And if we just keep loaning them money or for a parent, keep loaning money to that adult child uh, and we don't help them change their financial habits, they're going to continue to repeat that behavior over time. But if we loan them the money in the short run, but say, but the condition of me loaning this to you is we're going to sit down and develop a budget. 
and we're going to figure out your expenses and we're going to, we're going to give you the right tools to stick with that budget. Now you've helped that person for a lifetime and you've really created this kind of positive, sustainable change. And what about, I'm just going to ask this one is because I run into, like I do some professional licensing work and you run into say the alcoholism. That's another thing that if you don't under address the underlying alcoholism or if it's depression or whatever the case might be, you're going to run into, continue to run into the same, fall in the same hole as well, right? Absolutely. And in fact, you can even kind of further perpetuate that situation. In other words, we call it enabling in the world of, of people with substance use disorders. Um, and yeah, if we keep kind of fixing their problems that they create as a result of their use and, and we don't really force them to address it and get treatment for it and change, then yeah, it, it, and it you know, often will get worse uh, as a result of that. And that enabling thing is kind of important. And I'll acknowledge that I called in your office, but before you were there and was talking about a lawyer who had a particular type of problem. And I think it was Mark Weber at the time who said to me, now, Mary, I know your fantasy is that this person's going to get well, but what's going to really happen is, and so you need to stop and this is what you need to do. And so, you know, for me, that was like really good advice. Well, let's talk about the steps to help those who are trying to make some changes develop the help-seeking skills, or just if we want to seek help, we're afraid to ask, we need those skills. Absolutely. Um, we'll kind of break this down to it a couple steps. First, you, you want to seek out a person uh, that you trust, and uh, that person doesn't have to have all the answers. Um, it'd be good if they had experience in the area, you know, where you may need some help. If it's a financial problem, somebody that's good with those financial matters. If it's, if it's uh you know, a, a drug and alcohol issue, somebody that has experience maybe in those issues knows where to go to get help. Um, also, somebody can be with you in the long run. So one conversation is probably not going to be enough. If it's a more serious challenge, it's somebody that can be with you weeks, months, you know, the long term to help support you along the way. You got to think about appropriate boundaries. Going into your boss's office and saying, I'm having all these marital problems and kind of laying that all out on your, on your boss's desk, probably not, you know, the appropriate way to address it, not the right person to come to, even if you think your boss could be helpful in that situation, right? You need to respect the fact that there's a professional boundary there and your boss supervises you. And so we have to be careful with those things. Um, and then lastly, uh, we all have that person in our life that will tell us exactly what we want to hear. And no matter what's going on, it's somebody else's fault. It's, it's something else's fault. Uh, don't go to that person. Go to the person who's going to actually give you an honest perspective, maybe even challenge you a little bit on some of your ideas, but also do it in a supportive way. They're not there to criticize you or judge you, uh, but they are there to give you a realistic view of what's going on. So you need to be sincere that you're actually seeking help and know that, look, I'm not, I'm not really seeking help if I'm going to the person who's going to just tell me what I want to hear. Absolutely. Or it's really easy then to blame something else and you don't even think you need help because it's. Oh, yeah, it was so and so after you know, all. It's my Never boss's mind. I'm fault, my coworker's back. fault, my, my wife's fault, my neighbor's fault, whatever the case is. Yeah. It's really easy to, to not even see you need help in those situations. So, what else, Chris? Um, when, you, when you do seek out help, uh, you know, be direct, be honest. Uh, don't. You know, don't get into judgments and, and conclusions. It's not about kind of the end issue, but how did you get there and what maybe you could do to change that path. Uh, talk about how it's affecting you. And that's sometimes hard to be vulnerable in those situations and truly share with somebody how much, you know, particularly the issues we deal with, mental health and substance use, cognitive, or just stress, burnout. 
uh, but you really have to talk about how it is affecting you and then get some feedback from that person of what they're seeing. Um, talk about solutions you've tried, even if you've, they haven't worked, uh, so that you can el- maybe eliminate those. And then lastly, don't take feedback uh, as criticism. You know, Take feedback from that person that's trying to help you or suggestions as them you're trying to help you and not necessarily as, as a judgment. And, you know, my thought would be that this conversation needs to be an in-person conversation, like rather than an email. Because I think one of the things, if you send an email to the person and they get a response, you're more likely to struggle with the way you're reading the feedback and you're going to read it as criticism and like, oh, why did I ask that person anyway? Do you think that's correct? Absolutely. I, I think face-to-face is always the more most powerful thing, particularly when it's you're, you're confronted with a serious challenge. Uh, we live in a world today where people love to text and, and nothing wrong with that, but text messages lose a lot in, in the interpretation on the other end. You also don't get to see the person face-to-face. You don't get to read uh, you know, any type of their nonverbal things that are going on and, and other uh, cues that may help that person you know, in, in the helping process. And then lastly, you know, it's hard to kind of walk away from a face-to-face conversation. It's kind of easy just to not respond to an email or text message. And so I think it really kind of forces you to address the issue. So what would be the next step? Uh, I would say then then you have to develop, you know, take action. So talking about stuff is, is, is a great starting point, but talking about it alone doesn't change anything. And so you got to figure out what action do I need to take. And that action may be reaching out to a professional uh, that that can help you in the particular area, whatever it is you need help with. Um, that action may be, you know, as simple as in the financial example, sitting down and creating a budget and then figuring out how to stick with it. Uh, you want to stay kind of simple and focused on what you can change today. It gets really easy to overwhelm yourself on um, trying to solve, you know, the next six months worth of problems today. And, and, and that will get people kind of spun out and it also discourage them from taking the action. So we really want to keep you focused on what's in your control today and let's go ahead and accomplish that and then acknowledge it and feel good about the fact that I was able to do this today. I set out to do it. I did it. And that, that helped move forward. And I got to wake up tomorrow and do that same thing. You don't need to, uh, it, or I, the last thing I would say is, uh, you know, keep identifying kind of the next step in the process and, and, Sometimes, you know, whether you journal or you, you keep a list or, or some way of keeping yourself accountable, and it may even be being accountable with another person. So it may be, you know, checking in with them periodically to make sure that you're keeping up with whatever change. If, if it's dealing with um, your uh, mental health issue, are you going to your therapist? Are you, are you making all those visits? Are you making up excuses to miss them uh, because of work or family obligations? Uh, and so having that accountability with someone can be a really important piece of that as well. When I like that next step, which is a little different from how you're presenting it, but I was working today with somebody that I would do some work with who's an attorney who's in kind of a just tough situation. And the person is looking at where they want to go in the long run when they have all this pile of stuff. And the conversation we had was on that next step. Just focus on that next step. And then when you've taken that step, then, you know, that's kind of the one step at a time approach. Absolutely. And, and, and law students struggle with this as well because they, they get all caught up in, I got a final in three months and everything I need to know for that final. And what I talk to them about is each day in class, you, you're, you're given th- whatever three cases to read and understand and analyze. Just focus on those three cases. And if you do that every day, by the time you get to the end of semester, the professors got you to a place where you know what you need to do in order to perform on their final uh, it gets really key, easy to get caught up in in outcomes 
and not really be focused on on that immediate action. Uh, I, I use the example, my, my daughters play basketball, and, and we always talk about in a basketball game, you know, if you get caught up in the score, you're not going to play well in the game. Like, you need to think about the next thing you need to do in that game, and if you put those in order and you keep doing the next right thing in that game, eventually that score will work out for itself. And I think the same thing happens with, with life challenges. And I think you had a fourth step. Yeah, so then finally is the acknowledging, you know, the progress. Uh, you know, once you set those goals and you kind of laid out that action plan, make sure you're checking off when you're accomplishing those things. That 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 allows you to understand that you're moving forward. It also gives you a sense of a kind of accomplishment and hope and that, you know, things are going to get better. You know, to me, the other challenge is really when you make a little bit of progress – then don't stop. So the other side we have is where we're like, well, have a lawyer come to us and, and maybe they're struggling with a uh, drug and alcohol issue and we get them into treatment and they go through a 30-day treatment and then day 31, they want to go back and live life like they did 30 days ago. And, and realizing that it's a long process often to deal with some of these issues and so you need to stay engaged with it you know, in the long run. And again, that's where accountability I think can be really helpful. So we've talked a little bit about this, but I want to focus a little more on just what gets in the way of asking for help. Definitely, uh, you know, with lawyers, uh, fear, pride are, are two big ones. Um, and they, I'm a lawyer after yeah. all, right? <laughs> and they go together, right? <laughs> uh, a large part, I mean, pride creates fear because we're, we're afraid of looking vulnerable. We're, we're afraid of not having the answers. We're afraid of not appearing um, professionally to our clients or, or the people in our staff or people in our lives. Uh, so I think that's a big one. Um, nobody likes to admit, you know, that they have a problem. Uh, it's just human nature, like we just, it, it's a hard thing to do. It requires vulnerability and that's not a trait lawyers uh, work well with. And, uh, and so we have to kind of develop that. Uh, it's uncomfortable. And then often it's sometimes even a, a lack of information or insight. And that's where talking with somebody else and getting that perspective and feedback can be really helpful uh, to truly see. Or I, I've talked to a number of lawyers that will call our helpline and, and, you know, I know their situation. I kind of know what's going on. And what they describe to me is seems way better than, than what I know is actually going on. So in other words, I, I know you've had three jobs in two years. You've just went through a divorce. You just got your second DUI. You're having financial problems. You're getting sued by a couple creditors. And, and yet they're like, oh, things aren't too bad. You know, they're going okay. And, and you know that it's not. And so I think um, being able to get them to realistically see their information, see their situation and get the right information is important. Yeah, that's interesting because we tell ourselves narratives. Sometimes it's really different from sort of the, the reality that exists. Well, in another article, so you wrote about the reasons for hope. And I know sometimes when I'm talking to people in some of these situations, there's a lot of hopelessness. So can you share some of the details that provide hope? Yeah, definitely. I mean, hope is such a powerful tool in, in all aspects of our life. Um, your hope really counters feelings of isolation, uh, which is important. Uh, we we can work in a hundred lawyer law firm and feel isolated. We can we can have a large family and still feel isolated. I mean, isolation is more about what's going on the inside than what's going on around us. Um, if we can see or hear positive examples in our lives, I think that provides a lot of hope. Uh, either if we're struggling or we're just working towards a goal. Uh, if if a child sees a positive example in their lives of getting a college education and becoming whomever they want to do with their lives professionally, like that can be a really powerful tool, that, that level of hope. Uh, 
that's also why support groups are utilized a lot in, in the areas we deal with is support groups provide a lot of hope because they give those positive examples of if you're struggling with mental health and you meet some lawyer who also struggle with that same mental health condition, let's say it's depression, but they've been able to successfully treat it and go on and have this career that they wanted to have or accomplish the goals they wanted to in life. I think that becomes, um, you know, really powerful in that situation. And I was just going to add one thing on there because yeah. earlier you mentioned don't go in and dump it on your boss. That's right. not the place, right. Right? <laughs> right? At work or even a coworker really. And that's where support groups are a great tool is take that out of the office. Absolutely. And that's the reason why our, our program has a confidentiality uh, rule that's actually in the attorney client privilege rule in Nebraska. Uh, we added language in Nebraska that said a lawyer, judge, or law student uh, who communicates within that, either myself or one of our volunteers. And I have 70 amazing volunteers on our committee who uh, are able to step in in different situations and be incredibly helpful. Um, they get the same privilege over communication as attorney with client. And our, our, our attorneys that call us, obviously, they, they know the, how expansive privilege is and how powerful it is. They also know the limits of it. And so um, that creates a safe place for that lawyer to be able to call me and have a conversation and know that it's not going to go to discipline. It's not going to go to the courts. It's not going to go to their employer or their spouse or whomever, their clients, uh, and be able to have that kind of very open, frank conversation. And, and I'm going to ask, so as a, fan, as a person who comes from a, a family of mental health practitioners, I'm a somewhat avid about mental health and really like therapy. A lot of people rely on, say, coaching, and I think there's a place for coaching and there's a place for therapy. But what about therapy? Oh, absolutely. Fer therapy can get an amazing tool, both if you have a specific mental health disorder or sometimes you're just going through a difficult life event. You're going through a divorce. You, you've had a death in the family or, or something that you just – it's hanging on with you and, and continuing to affect you. And, and um, my brother's a therapist. Uh, he, he works in Des Moines, and, and I'm always kind of bouncing some things off him. Our uh, NLAP has uh, part of an advisory committee we put together for NLAP, has a mental health professional that's not a lawyer as part of that. And, and uh, that's been an incredible resource for us because as lawyers, we can always we always think we're going to figure things out for ourselves. Uh, but we need to go to the professional who really knows. And, and therapy isn't just about talking about your problems. It, it, there are... There's absolutely, you know, proven methodology and scientific methods that show that certain therapies are very effective to deal with certain issues. And, and so it's not just talking about it, but it's, it's finding a path forward. It might be developing tools to deal with certain things in life or be able to cope with certain things in life. And I've seen some lawyers just make amazing progress by being able to reach out and, and talk to a therapist about a particular issue. Well, I, th I think you made a great point about how we can kind of talk to ourselves that we're doing okay or whatever. And the fact is that's what we're trained to do is to create narratives. And so we can do that about our own situation and we think we're going to figure it out. And I remember one time listening to an attorney and it was totally not related to law. It was like related to whether you should do paint or carpet first and came to an analysis based on one set of facts and was absolutely positive. And the painter's like, that, no. And it was just reminded me how we are trained to like, take a couple facts, put them together into a story and make that happen. And I think that's where somebody who's really willing to say to us, that doesn't make any sense. Sometimes you need that because it actually does make sense to yourself. Absolutely. And, and, or the, and conversely, they might say, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and that does make sense. Like you're getting at least that feedback one way or another. And, uh, yeah, those narratives, I mean, it, it's, it's, we all give ourselves the closing argument in our head about why, whatever we did was right or, or we need to go down a particular path. And, and I think challenging ourselves uh, occasionally on that is really important to have 
as you mentioned in the beginning, a, a legal career that's not just successful financially, but you actually enjoy the practice of law. You actually feel like you're fulfilling a purpose in what you're doing in life. And, and I think that's an incredible way to, to be able to uh, live a professional life versus just kind of going through the motions, which sometimes we'll see lawyers. They're very good. They're good at what they do. They have a skill, um, but they don't really have that enjoyment or sense of purpose from it anymore. And a lot of times it's, it's a reluctance to change or to confront a particular thing in their life. I wish the joy that I've had in this career for everybody, and I know it's not the case, right? But I've also would say that I've had to renegotiate the way I function. You know, at one point I had a little kid, and what I did had to be different during that time frame then. But that's where I did actually seek support and help and things like that to say, oh, how do I navigate this situation? So I really appreciate your time on this topic. Do you have any last thoughts today? Yeah, I, just to follow up on in your in your initial comment of, you know, strong people. And uh, I've worked uh, at different law firms, and I worked at one point for a Fortune 500 company in their legal department. And I got a lot see a lot of different professionals in my life. And, and the, the ones that, honestly, I think were the most successful and the most effective and the lawyers that I've seen the most effective are the ones that are willing to ask for help when they need it. They, they're willing to be vulnerable and do that. And uh, the best trial lawyers I know don't just go off and write their closing argument by themselves, but they're bouncing it off people, you know, even in that context of, of asking a, an associate to come in and hear my closing and give me feedback on that. I mean, that, that takes some vulnerability for a seasoned lawyer to do that and actually listen to that feedback, but, but it makes them better at what they do and more effective at what they do. Well, and what I was taught is to always ask the brand new associate, because in the eyes of the beginner, everything's possible, but those of us who are seasoned don't always see that. Well, thanks for sharing today, Chris. I really appreciate you participating. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Veterans Victory, Foster Group, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.